Welcome to Understand Murdoch, a podcast from The Post and Courier, South Carolina's largest newspaper. Our award-winning reporters have spent more than a year digging into the Murdoch saga to bring you the latest news and in-depth analysis as we covered the story of drugs, deceit, and death in South Carolina's rural low country. And now we're here to provide quick daily updates on Alec Murdoch's highly anticipated double murder trial in Colleton County. Hi, and welcome to Understand Murdoch. I'm Nathan Stevens, your host. I'm here with Jocelyn Greshik, who's part of our team of reporters covering the trial in Walterboro. Jocelyn, I imagine if you're one of the jurors, today was particularly jam-packed in terms of all the information coming at you. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, It's interesting to put ourselves in the minds of jurors, I think, because they would have been finding out about Ellick's decade-long spree of alleged financial schemes for the first time. Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. So we have to remember Judge Clifton Newman ruled only yesterday that jurors could hear this financial testimony. And some of these jurors said when they were being screened that they'd never heard of Ellick or the nearly 100 criminal charges that have been brought against him before this trial. So I imagine today was pretty astonishing, especially for those jurors. And what would they have learned about his conduct? So jurors heard first from a woman named Jeannie Seckinger. She was the chief financial officer of Ellick's former law firm, and she essentially outlined for them what she said is evidence of Ellick's decade-long scheme of stealing from his clients, the law firm, and others who trusted him. State prosecutor Creighton Waters presented Seckinger with a series of checks and other financial documents they say show Ellick was taking money from the settlements and verdicts he won for his clients and depositing it directly into his personal banking accounts. He was also taking the fees he collected from these cases and dumping them into those personal accounts. And this meant Alec was not only stealing from his clients, according to Seckinger, but she also testified it meant he was stealing from their law firm, too. And why would that be? Well, because the firm had a policy that all fees an attorney collects from a case goes straight to the law firm, not to them personally. And that money instead gets divided up at the end of the year and is given out as the lawyer's bonuses. We talked yesterday about how admitting this evidence bolsters the prosecution's case. Judge Newman ruled in their favor, and this is clearly what they wanted. But do you see any potential pitfalls? Yeah, that's a good question. I think state prosecutors have collected reams of evidence when it comes to the financial crimes Ellick has been charged with over the last year and a half. This, I think, was certainly apparent during Seckinger's testimony today. She was able to clearly and succinctly go over the evidence she uncovered and provide a clear timeline of Ellick's alleged misconduct. But I think the danger here is that jurors are being presented with lots of overwhelming evidence that doesn't directly link to the murders of Maggie and Paul. And there's a risk of jurors maybe getting bogged down in that and losing sight of the crimes Alec is currently on trial for. 
Did Judge Newman do anything to remind them of that? Yeah, he did. And this is also something defense attorneys emphasized in their cross-examination of Seconder. Jim Griffin tried to keep her testimony pretty narrowly focused to June 7th, 2021, which we know is the date of the murders. And of course, the crux of prosecutors' argument is that presenting all this evidence of Alex's alleged wrongdoing is essential to showing that pressure that they say was swirling around him at the time of the murders. Okay, can you expand on that a little bit more? Does any of the financial evidence have to do exactly with June 7th? Yes. So Seconder said she had confronted Alec that day about fees from a case he'd recently won with the help of another attorney. Seconder said she was worried Alec had received those fees and deposited them directly into his own bank account. And as we just went over, if he'd done that, it would have been going against the law firm's policy. That's right. And what did Seconder say she ultimately found? Well, she testified her search got delayed in the wake of the murders, and she clarified to defense attorneys she didn't pause her inquiry into these missing fees necessarily because of the murders, which was an important point that they wanted to establish, but work certainly got busier the summer of 2021, and she just struggled to find time. So she testified that she unraveled Ellick's entire scheme in late August or early September, of that year. And not only did Seconder discover Alec had those missing fees in his personal bank account this entire time, but she also found evidence he created a fake business to funnel the money he'd stolen from clients. Which Alec has apparently been doing since 2011, correct? That's right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's a lot for jurors to learn. They also heard from non-financial witnesses today. Can you tell us about that part? Sure. So the last witness jurors heard from was a woman named Megan Fletcher. She's a forensic scientist with the State Law Enforcement Division who analyzed a number of items from the murder investigation that were tested for gunshot residue. And what all did she test? So Fletcher tested the shirt, shorts, and shoes Alec was wearing when deputies met him at the crime scene. She also tested the gunshot residue kit deputies had taken of Alec's hands that night. And then a few months later, in September of 2021, Fletcher tested the seatbelt that investigators took from his Suburban, as well as the blue rain jacket that flood agents seized from his parents' house in Almeida. And what were the results? So Fletcher found multiple gunshot residue particles on the shirt and shorts. She found none on the shoes and then one particle each on the seatbelt and then that kit from Alex's hands. And did Fletcher say what this could mean? Yeah, so she went over a couple of things. Someone can test positive for gunshot residue if they recently fired a weapon, were in the vicinity of a fired weapon, or if they touched a dirty weapon. Someone who's recently touched another person who shot a gun or maybe suffered a gunshot wound can also get that residue on their hands. And then as for physical objects, 
they would have to be lying in the vicinity of a recently fired gun or have come into contact with something that already had that residue on it in order to test positive. And Fletcher also emphasized that her test results don't reveal which scenario is more likely or when the discharge or transfer may have happened. And how long can gunshot residue particles last on objects? So she said this residue can last basically forever on an object until it's scrubbed or washed off. And what about that rain jacket you mentioned? Yeah, that was interesting. So this kind of came out at the end of testimony and Fletcher said she found multiple gunshot residue particles on the jacket's exterior, though she didn't specify a number. But she said when she turned the jacket inside out to test it, she found 38 particles of gunshot residue. And her lab tests actually returned even more possible particles that would have taken Fletcher probably a week to go through and check and confirm. How would the jacket have gotten that many particles on the inside, but not the outside? So prosecutors asked Fletcher about a few hypothetical scenarios. She said someone would have had to have even more gunshot residue on themselves to then transfer that much to the jacket's interior. Alternatively, the jacket could have been sitting inside out near a gun when it was fired. She also testified that high amounts of residue might have gotten transferred to the jacket if a gun that's been recently fired was wrapped up inside it. And just to clarify, this is the jacket prosecutors say Murdoch stashed in his parents' house just days after the murder. That's right. And it's worth noting that this is also the item defense attorneys heavily disputed after a witness seemed to contradict her testimony about it yesterday. But Judge Newman ruled this morning that Fletcher could still testify about her findings. And what can we expect tomorrow? So we're planning to start court tomorrow with defense attorneys cross-examining Fletcher about her gunshot residue findings. Thank you so much, Jocelyn. Thank you. That's all we have for now. For more in-depth coverage of this trial, as well as the latest news on the Murdoch story at large, stay tuned to postandcourier.com slash Murdoch. You can find us on Twitter at Post and Courier. We would love if you could send questions, feedback, and tips to our Murdoch email address. That's Murdoch at postandcourier.com. And please also take a minute to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to keep up to date on the trial, subscribe to Murdoch News, a premium newsletter from the Post and Courier, bringing you exclusive first-hand insight from local South Carolina reporters who have covered this saga from the beginning. Subscribe at postandcourier.com slash Murdoch News, and we'll bring you exclusive reporting on the civil and criminal cases of Alec Murdoch. We'll see you next time.